Hello and thank you for choosing Starting Somewhere, the podcast where you hear from someone in the early stages of their working life to find out how they got to where they are, what they actually do every day, and just to get an honest look as to what your life might look like if you also start out in that area. I'm your host, Michael Watson, and just like last week, today's episode is focused on grad school. I'm thinking that this is going to be the second of a little four-part mini-series featuring people who are either currently in or recently graduated from grad school. Today's guest is one of my all-time favorite people, my very, very, very good friend, Meg Suttle. For a little over a year now, Meg has been pursuing her Doctor of Clinical Psychology, or PsyD, at Adler University in Chicago. This comes after graduating from The Ohio State University with a bachelor's degree in psychology. I really loved this conversation. Meg talks about the importance of taking a gap year. She explains what it was like for her to find the right grad program. She shares about what it has been like doing this in and half out of a pandemic and also emphasizes the necessity of therapy. One last thing before the interview, please make sure to stick around for the follow-up after, where I will help to unpack some of what we said, explain any technical jargon used, and thank our sponsors. All right, hope you enjoy. Meg Suttle, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. <laughs> so I'm going to get started with the official first question of the podcast, which is, what did you want to be when you were little? So when I was really little, I wanted to be a ballerina first, naturally. Because sure. tutus are just undeniably the best thing to a little girl. But then it kind of changed into some sort of medical doctor. Um, turns out, don't love science that much, and I don't love having to um, take care of people's bodily fluids. So that didn't work out either. Now sure. I'm trying to be a psychologist, so <laughs> you kind of find That's your perfect. way. Yeah, so then, so then let's talk about that. Well, number one, I think we should mention, and only because I've known you for so long, but the ballerina thing, that wasn't like completely just like out of left field. You are a world recognized dancer. I mean, that's like that that did happen. That That is a like, <laughs> that's a thing. That's a thing. Um, yeah. And my former life, you know, feels like eons ago. But um, Irish dancing is a lot different than ballet. So really? I guess I wasn't super, <laughs> but a little different. Yeah. More sparkles are involved in Irish dancing, you know. Right. <laughs> so then, okay, so you have a decorated career as an Irish dancer, and then you attend the Ohio State University. Attended, did you know? Yeah. Did you know going in that you wanted to major in psychology? No, not at all. So I like kind of was a hot mess going into college. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just kind of like settled on biology because my parents were like, what is undecided? Um, and I was like, I don't even know. So I kind of just ended up there. A lot of the, I knew it was going to be something 
science related. Um, I definitely gravitate towards social sciences more, but um, again, like I said, like I was like, oh, maybe I'll be a doctor. Ha ha. Um, yeah, that did not work out. Chemistry <laughs> is a real bitch, it turns out. <laughs> and after my first semester, I was like, I am not passionate enough about being a medical doctor that these classes are not worth it to me. Like, this is miserable and I hate this. So why am I paying to do this? Um, yeah. Right. So then it was kind of like, this I don't know where I want to end up maybe I'll do business maybe I'll do this and then my roommate was kind of like you know like you have the gift of gab as she says and you're interested in social sciences I don't know why you wouldn't go to psychology and really that's I mean obviously super hard to persuade me I was like yeah sure I'll give it a go <laughs> um, and switched my major to psychology and that's all she wrote at what, at what point in college did you switch your major to psych? I changed my major second semester freshman year. So, like, I was pretty early on in that process, which was nice. And a lot of the classes, I mean, a lot of the classes you take your first semester freshman year are prereqs for other classes. Right. Um, and they happen to overlap to some degree. Or it was, like, you have to take, like, for general education credits. Like, you had to take a science with a lab and stuff like that. So my horrible experience with chemistry counted towards that when I really could have just taken like geology, but you know, why make, why make anything easy? <laughs> why make anything easy? Go to OSU, be a bio major, take chem Suffer. one and say, you know what? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I think next semester we're going to do a completely different thing. Um, Literally so brutal. Was that nerve wracking for you? Like at what point, I guess at what point after switching your major, did you think, okay, yeah, no, this is it. Because, I mean, you know, it's still the second semester of freshman year. Right. Absolutely still had a ton of time to kind of, you know, change stuff up had that not worked out. So what was it that kind of solidified this is what you want to do? It definitely was not like I walked in my first class and was like, wow, this is so great. No, like I was like, what am I doing? I have no idea what's going on. Um, I honestly think it started to kind of click for me when I took like my first cognitive psych class. So I was like, this is really interesting to me. This is something that I'm excited. Like, it's a hard class, and there's a lot of memorization with it. But I was like, I don't dislike doing the work for this. And I felt like a lot of the other science classes I was taking, like biology and chemistry and all that good stuff, it was just miserable. I was like, this is hard work, and I don't like it. So why am I doing it? Um, so I guess like when I kind of hit stride with psychology was when I realized that I was like, OK, this is something I actually enjoy. And it's hard, so it makes sense to me mm -hmm. to want to keep doing it. But no, it definitely was not all at once, and it was wildly nerve-wracking because I was like, "This is a like expensive, and mm -hmm. b if you have to like continue on to a fifth year, not the end of the world. Plenty of people do it, but again, it's just expensive and yeah, all that good stuff." Do you remember what was it specifically that you really connected with or clicked with? Like what? what was that draw that you said like not just okay I'm interested in this mm -hmm. and you know it's it's hard but like was there something specifically that you were like oh yeah no this is I actually really really enjoy this I had a like I have been pretty fortunate through my like higher education career I guess we'll call it um that I've had some really really good professors and Dr. Maxi who I believe now teaches at Vanderbilt but she was just so such a good professor. Like I cannot say 
enough good things about her. And she would, she kind of had her own way about her classes, which at first I found kind of pretentious. But um, she had a specific research in, interest in psychology, and it was recognition-induced forgetting. And I was like, oh, why does, it's a very, like, niche thing in psychology. But she formed her whole class around, like, getting really good at one thing, um, which I thought was so interesting because a lot of my psych classes were so based around, like, we're just going to give you a taste because there's just so much to do with psychology, which is equally liberating and terrifying um, Mm -hmm. because there's so many different things that you can do with it. But I felt like her class and, like, her kind of finding her own, like, by no means will I ever do anything with recognition-induced forgetting. Like, it's not my thing. But kind of seeing how she formed her whole career around one specific interest in psychology made, um, I feel like it made psychology more palatable for me. And it felt more doable as opposed to just like, here's this really broad thing that I think I might be good at, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay. So then it's a couple of years into college and then you start doing like work, like you start actually working in labs and doing research. Can you explain a little bit about how you got started in that? Why the kind of work you did? Did you start, you started at a social psych lab at OSU, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So... I honestly had like a second, like my first crisis was, I don't want to do biology anymore. What am I doing? And then my second was, okay, I like psychology, but like, what am I going to do with it? Like, Mm -hmm. This is cool to learn about, but how is this going to be a career for me later on, like down the road? And so I, after talking to a professor, she was like, you got to get involved in some sort of research. If that's anything of interest to you, you got to start while you're in undergrad. So I honestly just like perused the psych page um, on OSU's website and I came across like an opening at a social psych lab and it seemed like mildly interesting to me but honestly I was just like applying to anything and everything and um, you do like a little interview it's usually done by the graduate students that work in the lab and that was kind of my start to psychology in terms of like the working world. I mean, like, it's, you're volunteering. It's, a lot of times will be counted for, like, class credit, but um, that's kind of where I started, and I didn't think I'd be somebody that would, like, research that much, and I really, really enjoyed my time in the social psych lab. What was the, what was the kind of work you were doing? So, it's anything for, like, anybody that's taken, like, a psych 101 course, you have to do, um, like, studies, and basically they make you do that, so the graduate students actually have, like, (laughs) data for all of their theses, thesi? I don't know what the plural of that is, but... Theses? um, Theses? Okay, there we go. Um, So it first starts with like very basic stuff, like you're running participants through whatever study they're doing. Um, The one that I worked on specifically was in regards to how like the social influence of stigma surrounding women in STEM can like their performance on STEM tasks. So we would like have them come into the lab, make them take this really hard math test, which honestly like I I feel a little bad about. And then that we would give them like fake feedback, either like, wow, you did so great or yikes, like not good. And then we would have them do like a completely unrelated coding task. And um, the research was really interesting. I mean, it showed that like that kind of negative reinforcement can really impact somebody's ability to perform. Um, and women do belong in STEM, so per. 
But um, overall, a lot of it's just like running lab type stuff. Um, I did some data, like cleaning, learned how to use SPSS, was, which was pretty interesting. And then I presented at like a poster fair kind of thing for OSU. So I'm just kind of giving a little bit of a taste to the undergrad students of what graduate school is like. So I spoke a little bit ago with someone who was working in engineering labs when they were an undergrad. Yeah. And they basically said that they were doing a lot of uh, a lot of busy work, like most oh, of the for time. Sure. Was that oh, yeah. was that your experience as well? OK, 100 percent. And like you are there essentially to make the graduate students lives a little bit easier. Um, you usually don't get a whole lot of face time with like the actual professors who run the lab. Um, because like for some PhD programs, it typically goes like you apply to the program because you want to apply to a specific professor. Like you want to, like you have similar interests, you want to work for them. This is what you want to learn about. This is like what you're basing your research off of. Um, and so they work pretty closely together, but you're kind of bottom of the food chain, doing a lot of busy work, whatever needs to get done. That's, that's what you're doing that day. So can you talk a little bit about what were any other jobs that you had in college that were kind of like either research-based or um, I don't just other stuff that you kind of did because you thought well I need to do something else before I whatever I choose to go on and do after undergrad yeah for sure um, I think there's definitely like an element of like everybody else is doing so much so there's that like pressure to like keep getting involved and like keep building the resume in one way shape or form because a lot of my undergrad experiences like aren't they don't really make sense like they're not super linear but they eventually like came together and culminated into what I want to do but I worked as a analytic intern for Hogland Learning Center which is a school for children specifically um, on the spectrum and just like helped administer assessments and stuff to them and helped like individualize um, like teaching programs with the, um, prof I guess teachers, not professors, um, that worked there to help each kid and kind of like identify weaknesses in um, different like learning areas, which was super interesting, super hard. But that's like an unpaid internship, which unfortunately for psychology, there's a lot of opportunities like that. But you kind of have to play the game and get involved as in as much as possible. Like if I could give any young psych student any advice would be just like dip your toe in everything and kind of figure out what you want to do because there's so much that you can do with psychology that it can be pretty overwhelming but I did that for a few semesters I worked in the social psych lab I also worked in a lab um this one was paid which was nice um, but it hey. was a, a we love that we love when you pay we students. love a, we love a job that actually pays people right for the work they do that's yeah. So novel, so crazy. Um, but it was a public health kind of realm job. And that was a lot of busy work as well. I did a lot of transcription, some data cleaning, some survey creating. Um, and it kind of was just like they would put you on whatever project they needed. So there's like a couple of different postdocs there that I would work with, some like involved in the like. OSU Med Center, some not, and the one I liked the most when I worked there was, I, there was one that was so gross, it was like about like hospital-acquired infections. Um, if I never had to learn about it, that again, that'd be great. But the one that I liked the most was in regards to the opioid epidemic and like 
the Midwest and kind of all over the country. And we got to interview a bunch of different people that were like involved in it. There were like people who were peer support. So like recovering addicts, there were people who like work in different treatment programs, people in the hospitals. And it was just really interesting to hear their point of view and like how honestly, like how horrible their experience has been with like trying to get funding and stuff of that sort and just like how bad it's needed. Um, So that was really eye opening. And then that kind of ties to like my psychological brain because of um, substance abuse. But overall, those were like probably, oh, and then I did like a sexual assault um, network volunteer position as well. And that was just like, you would get to like pick an eight hour, you could either do like the call line or you could go into the hospital. I chose to go into the hospital, but if you're doing like the call line, then you're like, it's like a hotline. So you're providing resources, you're connecting people with like law enforcement if need be. And then if you're in the hospital, if somebody comes in and needs a kit done, then like you're there to like advocate for them. So you're communicating with family members if need be, sometimes hospital staff. Um, super super hard to be there but like so so rewarding to be like honored with somebody's like worst Mm -hmm. time in their life and I think that was like super influential in kind of continuing my own education because I was like okay trauma is something that I feel like I'm good at and I feel like not a lot of people are and that's something I want to pursue so all of that kind of came together for a side for me that's really interesting um just because, like you said, like most people probably are not dealing with other people who are undergoing like extreme amounts of trauma. Right. Where do you think that comes from? Like, where do you think you're okay at dealing with that? I don't probably, something's probably broken up here, but um, I, <laughs> I honestly don't know. And I think that I take a lot of pride in being able to like be supportive to other people. I feel like I've gotten a lot of support from others and I think that's like helped for me to like who I am so like if I can do that for anybody else like that's important to me and that feels like really life-giving to me um I don't know why I'm drawn to trauma so much I just think that it's like I think resiliency is a really interesting thing to study I honestly am toying with the idea of like including that into my dissertation soon because we gotta start thinking about that already which is crazy but um I think that seeing well first it's like an honor to be trusted with that kind of information and like walking through a really horrible time in somebody's life with them is like so eye-opening and like you can see just how strong people are um which i feel like isn't always how it's like perceived or looked at like people think that like asking for help in certain ways is like a sign of weakness but i just think that's like such a source of strength and i think that that's really evident when you're going through something that's like traumatic. Um, but yeah, I don't really know where that came from. I um, started volunteering because like that was an important thing to me. I feel like I was constantly hearing stories about people having bad experiences in the hospitals, especially when they were trying to get a rape kit done. And I was like, oh my gosh, like there's an opportunity, there's an opening, you can do a training. Um, and then like being in psychology, I was like, this is probably an important training to have. And I ended up really, really liking it. And that was just kind of how the whole trauma-centric future career, soon-to-be career, um, got started. So was that it? Because the next question I was going to ask was, was there a specific moment during college that you kind of realized, 
okay, yeah, now I, I kind of have an idea of what I will do with this once I leave undergrad. Was that it? Was it that position that once you started to work with, you know, people undergoing severe trauma and you're like, okay, yeah, this, this could be a thing? Or were you still just like, I like this, I'm okay at this, but also like, who knows what's going to mm -hmm. happen after college? Um, I think it was... It definitely wasn't like an all at once thing for me. It was like slowly kind of like realizing like, oh, okay, like this could be a thing. But I feel like a lot of it came from like two things. It was both like really enjoying that position and then also really not enjoying my position at like the public health research lab that I was working in. Mm. Um, as much as like the people I worked with were really great, some were not. And I think a certain aspect of research can really be kind of like, the doggy dog, like food chain kind of energy. Um, like there were people that I worked with every day, 40 hours a week, every day, and they still didn't know my name, like that kind of thing. Um, and so I was just like really not enjoying my time there. And it was kind of this realization of like, I hate sit, spending most of my time just like analyzing data. Like I am way better when I get to do that, the actual interviews and like getting to do the informational interviews is really interesting to me. Um, and I loved like hearing people's stories. I felt like that was really important to me. So it was kind of realizing, okay, maybe this whole, like devoting my entire time to research is not, not good for me. And then like also really liking the clinical side of like getting to be a hospital advocate was important. So I was like, I kind of want a taste of both, but mostly clinical. And so that was kind of how I came to like the whole, um, PsyD as opposed to like a PhD or like a master's um, program that I was like looking at and also so so much help from advisors mm -hmm. and professors and just former like students too. That's re I, I'm sorry that's just that's like I think it's really interesting because like you know you went from going from something that you had absolutely you were like well I'm not going to do bio like mm -hmm. sure as shit not like instantly <laughs> that's like, a there's no absolutely for me. no way that's going to happen and then you go okay I might be interested in psych and then you know what 3 years later you're doing like very very serious work with people mm -hmm. that are undergoing really serious trauma and then you're like, oh, I guess that this whole thing has just been leading up to me continuing into psych. It just seems like, I, I guess maybe the lesson from that is just try a bunch of different shit. And then right. eventually you'll probably figure something out, right? Exactly. And I think that, like, it's really easy to kind of get caught up in, like, the comparative nature of, like, building your future career. Because, like, nobody's path is the same. Like, no two people will ever have the same path. And I think that expecting yourself to have a very like linear approach to your future is really like narrowing your opportunities like I think you're gonna miss a lot of really cool experiences and even if you're finding out what you hate that's like one step closer to finding out what you love so yeah I like I wish that more and I took also best thing you could do for yourself if you want to go to graduate school take a gap year love it make a little bit of money figure out what you want to do and like don't rush into the application process because that is a beast like I people warned me they're like you're gonna hate your life when you're doing that and I was like no it'll be easy like I applied to college no it's horrible it is literally <laughs> the worst thing and like writing these personal statements and like feeling like you're bearing your soul to the like the application committee just for them to be like actually no we don't like you <laughs> 
And it's like hard not to take that personally, but like you find your way. So when you graduated uh, from undergrad, did you know that you were going to go to grad school? Yes and no. Um, I was still working. Like I had, I was lucky enough to like keep my job at the like public health lab um, going into my gap year. And like, they just like moved me from like a student position to like an actual staff position. But um, I was still kind of toying with the idea of like, okay, like maybe research could be fun for me, you know? Um, That was a hard no. And I knew that I probably wanted to do more counseling kind of stuff. And I thought that like the clinical aspect of psychology was what kind of called to me a little bit more. But um, looking at programs is wildly overwhelming. And especially for like psychology, there's you can do a master's program, you can do like a doctor of psychology, which is a PsyD, which is the program that I chose. You could do a PhD program. There's just so, there's so many different programs. And Mm -hmm. if you don't know exactly what you want to be doing, then like don't apply to them yet because you kind of need to figure that out. Like it's not like undergrad, you can't go in undecided. Like you are, you're paying a significant chunk of money to continue your education. And if you're not certain that this is going to help you with your career, then like maybe take a pause and do a little bit more research, kind of figure out what you do, what you don't like, and then apply. Because there's a lot of pressure. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying, as someone who has been looking into grad school programs recently, like very Mm -hmm. recently, um, specifically psych programs, yeah, can confirm. There's a lot going on. So much. (laughs) And I'll be honest, I have no idea. Right. And like the websites don't like they don't tell you enough. Like they're like, wow, our school is so amazing. Like they're selling it at the end of the day. Like they want your money. Like they're trying to sell their school to you as much as like you want to be accepted into these programs. And like you never really understand fully, I feel like, what your program is going to be like until you're like physically in it. Like there's definitely aspects of my program that I was like, oh, I didn't know it was going to be like this. Um, But in terms of like researching it like give yourself so much time to do it because not only do you have to like go through the bullshit of like oh let me write my personal statement and individualize it for this program and send all my transcripts which is expensive also um but it's just like you need to be sure going into that at least i felt like i did you always have like the opportunity to like transfer and like it's not the end of the world if you're like a year in and you're like this sucks i hate this um because like i don't want i don't want it to be like oh, if I'm not 1,000% sure that I'm going to absolutely love this program, then I can't apply, you know, like, don't, I I guess take what I'm saying with a grain of salt, but I just felt really overwhelmed coming out of undergrad, and I felt like the expectation is you go to undergrad, and then you go straight to grad school, and then you start your career, like, you can take a pause, and, like, that's not going to be the end of the world, and it honestly might be one of, like, the best things you can do for yourself. I felt like it was a really, really great experience for me in terms of, like, I got to stay close to home for a year, which was nice. I made a little bit of money, which (laughs) you need in grad school. Never hurts. Literally. And I got to kind of start to understand how to be like a professional as opposed to like, just like a dumb kid who doesn't know anything while also like having the opportunity to learn a little bit more about these programs before I was applying to them. So then so like you said, you are currently in a PsyD program at mm-hmm. Adler University. So what was it 
specifically that drew you to that place with that program? Like, I assume that you were applying to a bunch of different things all over. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, what what was it or what combination of things led you to say, yup, in addition to them saying yes to you, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> in addition <laughs> to getting accepted. That's always helpful, you know? Yeah. Like, what was it that you were like, okay, yeah, no, this is, this is absolutely the program and where I'm going to go spend a ton ton of time and money over the next few years time money tears the whole nine um all of it i think a huge portion of like first i had to decide okay like master's level or doctorate level and the biggest thing that was like a deciding factor for me on that front was that i didn't want to feel super limited and when you have your master's you can provide therapy but a lot of times you can't assess um an assessment was something that appealed to like my analytical side of my brain and I really wanted the opportunity to do that and like when you have your doctorate you can do therapy and assessment um, and like diagnosis and stuff but first I decided that then I was like okay now I have the opportunity to either do a PsyD or a PhD and like I said before um, when you're applying to a PhD program a lot of times you're applying to like one specific lab or like one specific professor who has a similar research interest to you um, and not only is that way harder to get into but it also is a lot more research based as opposed to like the clinical aspect of psychology and I was like I don't really want that whereas a PsyD had both the like I'll still do a dissertation and all that jazz but um, it had the research base that I was looking for while the clinical training that I felt like I needed and I was probably going to use more anyways in my career so then it was figured that out And then I was like, okay, now I got to apply to programs. And obviously, like, the, like, practical and not fun part of it is, like, okay, how expensive is it? Can I get in also? Um, And I guess for for me, I applied to seven doctoral – I also was, like – I'm going to apply to master's programs too in case I don't get into a doctoral program right away and then I can get my master's, start working, and then reapply if I want to go back to school. Um, So I applied to seven doctoral programs, interviewed at three, and got into those three. But when I was my poor roommate, when I lived (laughs) back in Columbus during my gap year, I had like those massive, those massive like post-it things on the wall Mm -hmm. with like pro-con lists and they were up for months like (laughs) my roommate was very very tolerant of my indecisiveness um shout out to her but the biggest thing I think for Adler that was a deciding factor for me was they had a really great trauma emphasis and not a lot of programs have trauma emphasis program like inside of their program um so that was a huge deciding factor and then they also have a pretty big emphasis on social justice which appealed to me being a white woman from a very white area I have so much to learn about like being culture with cultural humility and trying to be understanding of other cultures especially when you're providing therapy is hard and like if you're coming to a therapist who doesn't even remotely understand you and like where you're coming from in your history I like there's just no way you're going to build that therapeutic rapport so I felt like that was a huge area of growth that I needed to make sure I was getting proper education on um so yeah that's how I kind of ended up at Adler. Thought about flipping a coin. Wouldn't recommend. <laughs> I actually had on on flipping a coin for a major decision. Uh, after our soft or after our freshman year, we were trying to get into an eight person suite, 
mm-hmm. and we had seven people and we needed an eighth and one of the guys that lived in the room right next to me we wanted him to be the eighth we were like come on man let's go but he had a group of friends from back home that also Mm. wanted him to live with them and the way he decided that was flipping a coin i flipped a coin for undergrad did you really yeah i was deciding between depaul and osu and i flipped a coin (laughs) you're just trying to get to chicago Honestly, I do love, yeah, and I had reached out to somebody that was in the psych program, like, two years above me when I was trying to, like, make my decision. I was like, yo, how did you do this? Um, And he had some really great advice. I mean, obviously, what was the vibe when you went to the interview? Like, is that when you were talking to people, did you feel like you fit in? Did you feel like you were excited to be there? And he was like, also, this is a significant chunk of time. It's a four-year program you're spending that in a city. So make sure you're picking a city in which like you can see yourself living in. And like Chicago was that for me. Um, Boston is great. Uh, Not really my vibe. And the other school I applied to was University of Indianapolis. And it's pretty like, it's pretty similar to Columbus. Um, Mm. I mean, in size, Mm. I guess. Um, I think people in Columbus would be offended by that. They're definitely going to be mad about that. Um, (laughs) I'm a little offended by that. I feel like it's kind of similar. I don't know. It's past it. It's fine. (laughs) It's the Midwest. It's all the same, right? It's all just corn. Do you know know how many people ask me, like, oh, you're from Ohio? It's so boring. It's so flat. Cornfields everywhere. I'm like, I lived in a city. Like, I was not a farm. But (laughs) I definitely, like, did not have a great interview, like, there were a lot of things going into that poor interview, but somehow they let me in. But I just like didn't really feel like I connected with the school and like the faculty as much as I did when I was at Adler. Um, I had a great interview when I was at Adler. I loved um, the professor who interviewed me, and like he sent like a handwritten note after the interview. Like they were just really thoughtful, um, which played a huge part of it as well. Like it's nice to feel wanted from these programs because you're like channeling your blood sweat tears transcripts all of the money possible towards trying to get into them and a lot of times you can hear a lot of no's so um it was nice to feel that way and I feel like that was also helpful in my deciding factor plus like who doesn't want to live in Chicago right so (laughs) because you took a year off so you graduated from college in 2019 right and then you took a year off sure did which would mean that you started grad school in the pandemic correct lucky me yeah so how like because obviously it's not just like oh how has grad school been because it's not Mm -hmm. just standard grad school it's been grad school plus pandemic Mm -hmm. in your first year so what was that experience like like having gone through this entire process all of undergrad trying to figure out what you want to do you take a year off to figure out what grad program you want to do you apply do the whole thing and then, you know, you're trapped in your apartment the entire time. So, like... Zoom University, for sure. Yeah. It... Mm, wouldn't recommend. But, honestly, it's just been such an odd thing to, like, meet these people. Because people always say, like, oh, you'll meet so many, like, like-minded individuals. Whatever the sure. line Standard is. bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, naturally. Um, I <laughs> didn't, like, get to meet them, really, because you get 
a lot of the like social interaction part of school, like just being physically at school and like chatting before class and you know, whatever it may be, like getting to do like cohorty things together. And we didn't really have that, which was definitely hard to make that transition from like being able to see people in person at school to, right. okay, it's purely online. And at first, honestly, I struggled a lot because it felt really isolating to me. And it's like, you don't realize how much you're like just sitting in class like, oh, hey, like I missed that. Can I see your notes? And like when you don't get to like build those relationships, it's a lot harder to ask for things like that. Um, and like over the course of, cause the whole year we were online. Um, so our first three semesters were online, which was very, very odd. And like, as people got vaccinated and got more comfortable, um, I've gotten to meet a lot of my classmates and they've been absolutely wonderful. But um, at first it was a really, really hard transition. And it's already hard to like transition to like the amount of work and the level of academics in which you're required to meet to like maintain a good <laughs> a good grade and a good GPA throughout your program so that with the added stress and I guess like kind of isolation that Zoom University <laughs> provided was definitely difficult at first um, also side note nobody knows how tall you are because they've never seen you no. in real life they mm -hmm. do not. I had this. I so I was just in Chicago a few weeks ago, mm -hmm. um, which obviously you know, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I met one of my former coworkers from last year. We worked from I don't know when we started. I think I started in like May, maybe so like May to then election day in November, and then we had kept in touch. And he lives in Chicago, mm -hmm. so I was like, oh, we should you know I should like actually meet one of the people that I you know, just spent the last six months working with. Right. Um, I, and I hope he listens to this. He won't, but, um, <laughs> I swear to God, I thought he was like six foot three at least. Like, I don't know why he gave off like such tall vibes and just all this stuff. Tall and he was shorter energy. than me. Yeah. And I'm five eleven, So like, I'm not even that tall, but like he, like, like I was just completely <laughs> blown away and not in a negative way yeah you're just like oh this is a surprise <laughs> yeah i was just like well yeah there you go when you don't see people i like you have absolutely no idea what's going on with them right and like we're it's so odd because a lot of people are like in their bedrooms like at their desks mm -hmm. in their rooms sky, like zooming into school it's so it's like you, yeah super weird to be like <laughs> meeting people in that kind of setting and then on top of that like a lot of people are wearing sweats and like hair oh, looking a mess yeah. and like the first time I met one of my now friends in the program a she thought I was really tall I was like I give off tall girl energy that's such that's so fun for me because I am yeah, not tall at all I was gonna oh. say just for the listener you're five two I'm yeah. five four put some respect five, on my four. name I'm, I'm com that is the national average so okay enough Congratulations. of that yeah. Thank you. I'm very proud of it. I apologize. Um, we'll take all this out. <laughs> but she was like, you don't look like you do on Zoom. And I'm like, I don't know if I should say thank you or be offended. Um, and she's like, you also are a lot shorter than I thought you'd be. And I was like, again, thank you or offend. I don't know. I don't know how to react to that. And this but is your just, friend? Yeah, yeah, she's now my friend. Okay. Um, okay. Good. Yeah. Um, she's very smart and she gives me good notes. So I guess we tolerate her for that. Um, she, I hope she listens to this too. She won't, but I hope she does. And I think that that's kind of like the funny, like lighthearted way to look at the whole, um, 
like online portion of our program. But like the equally terrifying part of it was that we're learning, like we learn our assessments our first year. Um, and that's like a lot of the focus of the curriculum. And those are A, really difficult tasks. And B, like, how do you learn how to give a psychological assessment via Zoom, especially when there's like materials involved, like there's certain cognitive tests that use like stimulus booklets and like shapes and blocks and stuff of that sort. So kind of trying to navigate that landscape as well and like understand that like you need to do everything in your power to understand this because you will eventually be administering this to somebody. And if you do it wrong, you could be potentially causing psychological harm to a future patient or client. Like that's, that's an added stress to like the whole learning in a pandemic level that I was not entirely prepared for at first. Were there ever moments where, because of stuff like that, where you're going over stuff that's like super important and that you will be Mm -hmm. using, you know, ideally for the rest of your professional life, um, in addition just to the fact that like regardless of whatever people felt about the pandemic we knew that it was not going to be a forever type thing like we knew that eventually stuff would you know open back up again and like life would kind of get back to being normal Mm -hmm. so was there ever a moment or moments when you were like doing all of that virtually where you were thinking like what the fuck is the point like why like this is so much harder than it needs to be (laughs) what am I getting from this? I'm never going to, oh my gosh, like, yeah. ideally you're never going to have to like practice virtually the, uh, like this. I mean, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And like my okay. whole first semester, I felt like I was like, did I, did I fuck up? Like, did I make a mistake? Should I have waited <laughs> another year yeah. just so I like had the opportunity to go in person instead of being online. And I think like, Part of that was like my own selfish like mourning the I'm not getting the typical graduate first year of school experience. And the the other part of that was like I'm paying a shit ton of money to go to the school and am I getting proper education? Like am I learning what I need to be learning? Will I be able to actually do these things in real life as opposed to behind a Zoom screen trying to administer to my classmate to practice and it's just a hot mess express. So like there's definitely an aspect of that. And I think that honestly, like grad school, any grad school, I don't care what program it is, should have like a prereq course about imposter syndrome before you can even set foot on campus. Like it is amazing to me that like, I kind of knew what that phrase meant, like an undergrad, like there's definitely like an aspect of that. Um, But it gets so real in grad school. Like you're like, who am I to say that I can psychologically assess and treat and hopefully help uh, another person with something like trauma or any other mental illness. Like, who am I to say that I am the one that should be doing this? Um, So there's definitely, like, an aspect of imposter syndrome tied into, like, the whole pandemic learning situation that it was unpredictable and was something that kind of I felt blindsided by and, like, I feel fortunate to have had good relationships with older classmates and people further along in the program and professors to be like, hey, like, this is normal. Like, it's okay. Like, no panic, no stress. Um, Just do your best. And that's all you can really do. Um, But yeah, definitely, definitely like (laughs) a level of like, oh, shit, what am I doing? (laughs) I don't know if this is going to make you feel any better, but just saying that. So I've done 
you know a handful of these interviews now mm -hmm. uh of uh, all people that i really you know respect and i think are doing really great things and almost every single person has talked about imposter syndrome and how they don't right? feel like they should be doing what they are myself very much included <laughs> um like I nobody's remember, immune to feeling that way no 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 no. because uh, like a lot of it too is you very quickly realize i think this might just be like post like whatever like baseline education so like whether it's high school college like as soon as you finish one thing that's supposed to prepare you for something and then you start that thing and you realize number one very little of what I learned is I'm actually using right now. Number two, <laughs> why did they hire me? Why am I doing this? Right. Who said this was going to be a good idea? Like, who said that I could do this? I can't do this. What, like, what's what's happening here? Like, right. My my first day, I had been when I first moved to Iowa uh, for the caucus. This is August 2019. Mm -hmm. um, Have you previously was, explained what you did? Because you might need to preface that. Oh, well, I, yeah. Lovely listeners. Okay. People, <laughs> yeah. So, like, I work on campaigns. But in go. that job, I was a field organizer um, on Joe Biden's campaign for the Iowa caucus, which, I mean, we, we could spend a, a week and a half and not get through half of that time. But um, it was maybe my second day, and my specific boss was really big on knocking doors, which is mm -hmm. a big part of being a field organizer, regardless of who you are. But she was like the first of all of our bosses that was like, you guys need to be knocking doors every single day, blah, 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 which not bad, but still, you know, intimidating. Right. So it was like my second day and I had done it before, but never like, you know, professionally. And she just looked at me and she's like, all right, you're going to go out with my other co She's like, you're going to go out with Jack. And uh, yeah, just like start. And I was like, uh, OK, you're like, what do I say? And, yeah, exactly. And uh, I like. I'm standing next to him. We do like three doors or whatever, and like you're knocking doors. So like people don't answer, right? Right. So like he get we finally someone answers like on the fourth or fifth door. He gets through like half a pitch, you know, doesn't go great as it goes, stops, and then he just looks at me and he goes, "All right, so you take that half of the street. I'll take this half of the street." And I was just like, <laughs> "It's like what? Like what are you talking about?" And he was like, "Yeah, come on. Like like it, you're talking about Joe Biden. How easy could this be?" And then like, and like that was it. And then I just had to, and then I did not feel comfortable doing that job three months, three and a half months of like right. doing it all day, every day for three and a half months. We were like seven days a week at that point too. Right. So like all day, every day and like three and a half months, I was like, oh, okay, maybe I can start to do this with a little bit of confidence. But like <laughs> you're just so screwed starting anything. Like it's, right. it's all a sham. And, like, nobody tells you that. So, like, they throw you into the deep end with yep. no, like, safety net. And they're like, yeah, go for it. And they're not expecting you to be perfect. And they're not expecting it to be, like, the easiest, most seamless thing that you've ever done in your life. And I think that the pressure that both society and a lot of people put on themselves going into a new job or into, like, a new situation like that, like, you want to do well, like, there's a certain like prideful aspect of that. Like you want to be doing well at what you're doing, especially yeah. like when it's important to you. And when you feel like you're not adequately prepared, there is such a level of like, why do I even bother? You know? Uh, and I think you feel that in any job. Like it doesn't matter if you're in 
a healthcare profession or like in the business world or if you're knocking yeah, doors, sure. like you are going to feel like an absolute idiot at some point and that's okay. <laughs> no question. And just another way that I can plug Adam Grant in his fantastic <laughs> book, Think Again. I, I, I'm going to talk about this book to as many people as I can. So in his book, Think Again, he does talk about imposter syndrome. And one thing from that chapter, which I have not stopped thinking about since I read it, mm -hmm. is if you're going into something, if the two, like if your two options, and honestly, I'm probably misquoting. And if he heard this, he'd be like, "That's not at all what I wrote." Be like, who is this? But idiot? what I took from it was basically, if you have two options, which are someone being very nervous to do something because they're like, "I don't know how to do this. How do I do this? What's going on here?" Mm -hmm. versus someone coming into a situation going, I know exactly how to do this. I am not nervous at all. I have this completely under control. Most of the time, the first person is probably going to do a better job, and they're also going to have a much better time working with everybody else because right. they don't assume that they know everything. And a lot of the time, you just kind of back yourself up into a corner if you think that you know everything, right. and then you're less likely to ask for help. You feel it's a much more personal thing if you get something wrong. Mm -hmm. um, if you do the wrong thing. So like just that mindset of, you know, I, I don't have all the answers or I know that I'm not going to be perfect at this actually is a much better mindset for like learning and actually figuring out how to get better at something. Because when you think about it, if you were going into something and you were super arrogant about it, like, well, this is it done deal. Like, had you gone to, you know, started grad school and you're like, this is nothing. I know psychology. I love psychology. Right. <laughs> I'm going to go like, in, I'm going to take a couple tests, I'm going to talk to some people, bada bing, bada boom, we're going to be out of here. Right. Like, who wants to be around that person? Right, and like who, Like, absolutely no one. Who wants to work with them in class? Nobody. Um, who wants to come into the therapeutic realm and be like, I need to talk about all my deep-seated trauma and deepest, most emotional thoughts ever, and you've got this like arrogant therapist? Absolutely not. Yeah. And I think there's like a level, I think, I honestly want to say one of my dance uh, teachers used to tell me this, but like, like if you're anxious or nervous about something, it means you care. And yeah. I think that kind of ties into the imposter syndrome and like allowing yourself, granting yourself the grace to mess up and not be a pro from the jump is like the best thing you could do for yourself in any profession, professional school, whatever it may be. No question. I had a guy freshman year of college look at me and went, it was to a group, but he said, you're only a freshman once, so lean into it. Like, right. You can only walk around and be lost like completely like one time. Because if you're a senior <laughs> and you're like completely out of your element, like figure it out, guy. What's going on? <laughs> like, come on, my guy. How long have you been <laughs> When here? you're starting something, you are starting that thing. Like, like and mm -hmm. there's no excuse for that. Like when you're a very, when you're a beginner, you're a beginner. So right. lean into that, right? Like, like if you don't Absolutely. know stuff, don't know stuff. Right. Like um, own, right. own where you are in your process and... Yeah, a thousand percent. All right, Ride we the wave. completely derailed this. Um, yeah, we really so, took a turn. <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious after, um, you know, how, uh, well, I guess, you know, how stressful 2020 was and just that entire year was for every single person added on to starting grad school. Mm -hmm. um, you're now in your second year. Would you say that your passion for what you're doing has grown uh changed stayed the same like how do you feel where you were going in 
whatever that excitement level was about, you know, this program and what you want to do, where are we at now with that? So I would say it depends on the day because, like, everybody has bad days. I just recently got my schedule for the fall, and it's a beast. Like, I have 12-hour days. So, um, yeah, that kind of dwindled the excitement a little bit. But I'd yeah. say overall it's definitely evolved, and we just recently started our practicum, which is, like, our clinical experience. Um, and that has, like, been so eye-opening and, like, so rewarding in the sense of, like, okay, like, I actually do like this because – the hard part about clinical psychology is like nobody's going to let you like be in that kind of therapeutic role until you're like in school to do that. Like you can't just like, oh, yeah, I'll just like sit in on this person's therapy session and like get to experience this before actually doing it. Whereas I feel like there are other you can do certain internships that will like illuminate other experiences in other professions, whereas psychology is one of those that like you kind of got a full send into school before you completely know what that experience is going to be like. Um, and also exciting because it's the first thing for grad school that I've done that's actually in person, which is wild to think about. Hey. Um, but yeah, even just like administering my first cognitive assessment was like A, the scariest thing ever, and B, just like so exciting to see what you're doing in the classroom kind of come to light. And in undergrad, I feel like there's a lot of things that, I mean, you got to do like the general education credits and like to be like a well-rounded student, whatever they say. Um, they just want you to take more classes. But there's a lot of stuff that you learn that you don't actually use. And I feel, um, I feel like when I actually get to use what I'm learning in class, it's a lot more validating in the sense like, okay, I'm where I'm supposed to be and I'm doing what I want to do. What has been your favorite aspect of grad school so far like what has been the thing that you have been like yep this is like okay I yeah like I can put up with a lot of other stuff because this is this is great right um I honestly think it's been the professors I've had which like I don't feel like I formed that many close relationships with professors in undergrad I feel like I mean obviously we went to Ohio State so it's like a big school and a lot of your classes are massive um, so that's definitely harder, but getting to see people doing what I want to do and getting to like hear all these amazing experiences that they've had and research interests that they're pursuing and just like getting to learn from people who you can tell are extremely passionate about what they're teaching has been such a rewarding experience and like super, I'm like trying to be thoughtful about high phrases, but I have had a lot of professors that I feel like an undergrad kind of like had to teach because they wanted to do research because like Ohio State's a huge research institution um, which is great if you're involved in research but also not so great in the classroom sometimes and I feel like it's really really nice to have professors that I feel like both care about like the professional growth of their students as well as teaching in a way that's advantageous for them and then also keeping like up to date on research and getting to pursue their own kind of ind individual projects and yeah I just feel like that has been probably one of my favorite parts and honestly the people the people are great um I mean cohorts are weird because going from like a big university to a really really small grad school which was like an act active choice that I wanted to make um has been an adjustment for sure because I feel like everybody knows everybody which there's definitely like a level of oh like did you hear this person got this like practicum placement um 
but getting to like build those friendships and relationships with people that will eventually be my colleagues um, has been really cool as well. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's say that there's a time machine and you transport yourself back to December 2018. Oh, okay. We got one semester left of college. What are you telling that Meg Subtle? What are you, what are you going to tell her? I'm telling that Meg to simmer the hell down because at that point in my <laughs> life, I feel like I was still so wrapped up in like trying to avoid a gap year that I was a like going to like, I'm surprised I didn't get like a stomach ulcer. Um, but I feel like I put so much pressure on that, that I didn't thoroughly enjoy like where I was in that process and like just getting to be a senior in college and enjoying taking classes that like I took like beer and wine and like chocolate science because I just like Those needed, great classes. Yeah, because I just wanted to be a full time student so I could use the gym. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I feel like I spent a lot of time worrying and less time like being present and like being in the moment. And I feel like this is something that I constantly like strive to do do better at um, and like be more mindful of just like where I am and like being present. But I'm definitely reiterating to past Meg that a gap year is great and it'll be really great for her if she just <laughs> doesn't fight it anymore. Um, and then I'll probably also tell her that she doesn't need to apply to all these master's programs because like you can't get into a doctoral program. So stop wasting your money doing that. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I think your senior year of college is really special. And I feel like I, I did enjoy it and I did like love that experience, but I wish that I would have been able to enjoy it a little bit more with less stress and anxiety about the future. But I feel like that's, I mean, everybody's trying to find a job and figure out their next steps and like, are you moving? Are you not? Where are you going to live? All that good stuff. Are you signing a lease and then having to move across? Like, it, there's just, there's so many aspects of senior year that involve the unknown. Um, mm-hmm. And I think embracing that unknown would be the best thing that I could have done. And I, I think I got there eventually, but if I could have gotten there a little sooner, I might have saved myself sure. a little stress. <laughs> That's great advice. Also, just the kids that do have it figured out, I think make it so much worse on everybody else. Cause like, I'm like, shut up. <laughs> how, I mean, like, how, how the hell do you get that figured out? Um, right, but sometimes they they figure it out and get what a couple years down the line, and they're like, "I actually hate this," and that's because you yep. didn't get, allow yourself the opportunity to try something and hate it. You know, it's that like whole kind of tying back to the, like the linear process. Like nobody's path is right. linear. Like you just kind of got to figure it out as you go. Also, it's not a race. Yeah, like <laughs> what not, are you rushing for? We're not trying to get anywhere <laughs> before anyone else. It's it, we're all we're all still here. Um, okay. So before the final few questions, I just want to ask, is there anything that you would like to say that you have not gotten a chance yet to talk about? Mm. I'm trying to think if we missed anything important. Oh yes. I do have something I want to talk about. Um, I think, especially if you are going, I think everybody should do this, but especially if you're going into any sort of like helping profession, get a therapist and get one now because at the end of the day, there is no other person on this earth other than like having a therapist that will have an objective, like a genuine interest in you, but also they're objective about it. So like, yeah, I can ask you advice on 
like personal situation or like relationship advice or anything like that. But at the end of the day, like you're my friend first. So like you're going to answer from that lens. Whereas I feel like having a therapist is extremely personal growth oriented while also like kind of getting to the hard stuff. Like they'll push you in a way that involves a lot of introspection. And I think that while you can get an aspect of that from friendships and like, I guess like mentor mentee situations, like they can push you professionally, but I don't think you're going to reach like a full, your highest potential for introspection until you get involved in therapy. And also it's just like nice to have that outlet, take care of your mental health before like it's needed, like severely and yeah, get a therapist. Yeah, I'm going to second that. And there are also a lot of different ways that you can do that. You could mm -hmm. find someone in person. I have gone online uh, through BetterHelp and then, you know, just listen to a podcast that's much bigger that has the sponsor and then you get a discount code. Um, <laughs> and then they also <laughs> and then they also have um, like, you know, they can help with uh, financing if mm -hmm. you're broke um, like I am. Same. So, you know, yeah. So uh you know, like there are just a lot of options and also don't be afraid to switch people around because I have also had to do that. Same. And it like it behooves you to shop around for a therapist because at the end of the day, like your your personality and your therapist personality like come out and as objective as they try to be like they're still people. So if you're not vibing with your therapist, like get a different one. And I know that's kind of frustrating and annoying and it's hard. Like meeting with the new therapist is scary. You're like, hi, here's all my childhood trauma. Like let's talk about it. Um, but at the end of the day, like you will be so much better off if you're comfortable in that therapeutic relationship. And there's a lot of growth that can happen with good rapport. Um, so like, don't be afraid to switch. We both switched and live to tell the tale. So you'll be okay really quick do you have any like tips for how people can find a therapist mm -hmm. or like what they need to look for for someone for that to be like a the most beneficial that relationship can be i guess like take a little bit of time to write down like your therapy goals i think a lot of people kind of come into therapy thinking like okay like so we're just gonna chat and it's gonna fix me whatever you think needs to be quote fixed and again you don't need to be quote broken to go to therapy or like that you don't need to be in crisis. I think it's really great to go for a multitude of reasons. Um, but I think take some time, write down your like therapeutic goals. Like, oh, I want to be better at saying no, or I want to work on this relationship with so-and-so, whatever it may be. And then take some time to think about like what, like ask questions. So like in your first session, be like, okay, what is your therapeutic style? And then think about how that's going to relate back to your personality and like what you prefer and what relationships in your life you feel are really beneficial and life giving. Like what about those relationships are important to you and how is like your future therapist therapeutic style going to play into that? Because if you're somebody who doesn't like to really like introspect and think about that, like you're not going to love psych psychoanalytical like oriented therapist, like that's just not going to be your thing. Maybe you're a CBT kind of guy. Um, so like, just ask questions. Don't be afraid to like question your therapist. CBT, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, it's, it's honestly one of the mo most common forms of therapy. Cause I feel like a lot of people respond to it the best. Um, not to be all nerdy and get into that, but I think ask questions. Don't be afraid to be like, what, I guess like you can kind of interview them. Like, 
all those like horrible behavioral questions that you get in interviews, like tell me a time that you conflicted with a coworker. Like you can ask questions that are like, okay, tell me how you handle certain situations or tell me like what your go-to is for this, that, or the other. Um, that's gonna help you a lot in the long run because the quicker you figure out if you do or don't drive with that person, the quicker you'll find the person that you do actually benefit from going to see. That's awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for that. Well, oh, you know, you know, I love have always, 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 <laughs> always. So we have the final five questions. Um, yeah, I'm excited. And then you can go <laughs> and then you can go back to studying and being a fantastic PsyD student. OK, yeah, so question one. What is the best job you've ever had? Oh, wow, that is a good question. Um, I think the best job I have ever had would be on it so unrelated to all things psychology but i used to help teach irish dance to little kids and i am not the most like child oriented individual ever but there's just something so fun about seeing and like obviously i love irish dancing i did it for such a long period of my life but there's something so fun about seeing a kid who's like been working really hard like get a new skill and like get through a full dance and be really proud of that and i think that that's one of my favorite things I've ever done. That's so nice. Um, <laughs> what is your dream answer. job? Oh, like money doesn't exist. Dream yeah. or like Who dream, cares? like as in like I'm achieving this. I, let's do both. So let's do okay. the first one. First one, money is not on the table. Absolutely mm -hmm. nothing outside of just the waking up every day and doing this thing. I think my dream job would be like a food critic so then i could just like go and travel different places yeah. and just eat like that sounds amazing to me not that i have like any sort of refined palate or qualifications for said job but i just would love to travel and eat <laughs> sure okay <laughs> i think that could just be the job um okay so now in reality with money mm -hmm. that is important what's right. the now what's the dream job i think my dream job would be to work in a trauma hospital as a psychologist um, and who knows maybe maybe teach on the side that's not something that I ever thought I'd be interested in um, but after experiencing my my one short year in grad school I think I might actually really like teaching so we'll see also I mean the best job you've ever had was a teaching job so let's just I mean I mean yeah but that's like <laughs> so so different you know it's still teaching, though. It's still That's taking fair. what you know and your experiences and imparting that wisdom into someone else. I mean, like, whatever you're talking about doesn't <laughs> matter. That's fair. You um, got me on that one. All right. Who are the people that you admire most? Oh, wow. That is a really good question. Um, I think in my own personal life, my mom, like, I, anyone who knows me knows that I have a really good relationship with my mom, and, like, I think just she's just such a great lady um but i think part of the reason that i admire her so much is because she's somebody that always makes people feel heard and i think that is such like a unique and like amazing skill to have and i think that at the end of the day like no matter your differences or like your previous background with a person as long as you can make them feel heard i feel like they're gonna feel like validated in whatever they're going through. Um, and I think that honestly played into a lot of like who I am as a person and like what I value. 
um, hence the whole psychology thing. Um, sure. But I also admire Brené Brown, my queen. I oh love my her so much. Hey, you can't mention Adam without Brené Brown, you know? That's like, fair. That's very, I'm honestly stunned that this is, this is the first time that she so has long. come up in yeah. this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I try and limit myself, but no, she's great. I think that she's really, really cool. Um, if you don't know who she is, she's also involved in psychology and has given like TED Talks and written books and it has a podcast and she's just a really cool lady. She makes, I feel like psychology can kind of come off as like stuffy, like Freudian and gross. Um, and I feel like she makes it really accessible and um, really talks a lot about vulnerability. And I think that vulnerability is a skill that everyone should work on. Those are two great answers. I'm a big <laughs> fan of both of those people. Um, <laughs> What is one thing that you plan on accomplishing within the next year? Mm. One thing that I plan on accomplishing is successfully, with minimal errors, um, administering a full battery of psychological assessments to a client and hopefully writing a pretty kick-ass report after it. No, hell yeah. Yeah. Um, and last question. Um, what has been giving you the most joy recently? Ooh, I feel like getting to spend time connecting with friends. Um, grad school can be difficult because depending on like what your social circle looks like, some of your friends are probably working instead of like continuing their education and that's just like a completely different lifestyle and like a different situation. So I think that there's a certain isolating aspect of grad school. And then like even within grad school, different programs are wildly different lived experiences. So I feel like something that's been giving me a ton of joy is like taking time out of my, like I will schedule out time out of my day to reach out to people that um, are my friends and are important to me. And I feel like that just gives me so much joy to like check in with them, even if it's just for five minutes. That's awesome. Um, well, Meg, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I really appreciate it. Wait, am I frozen or are you frozen? Can you hear me? No, no one's frozen. Yeah, okay, everyone can I hear each you. other. You got frozen <laughs> for a second. I was like, oh no, what did I do? All right. Um, Meg, thank you so much for doing this. It was thank fantastic. Thank you for having me. I'm always, of course. always down to chat. Welcome to the follow-up. I hope that it is now obvious why Meg is one of my all-time favorite people. Meg Settle, thank you so much again for coming on the show. And I actually just want to give Meg a shout-out because from the moment that I had the idea for this podcast, Meg has been unbelievably supportive. I probably sent her a hundred different drafts of... Uh, the cover design, um, it, the first few episodes, I sent her all of those, um, and she was always so unbelievably nice and generous. Um, 
and supportive. Um, and honestly, this episode and just I think I definitely would not have made it this many episodes um, without her. So just an extra shout out to Meg for being the very best. So typically, I take one part of the interview and talk a little bit more about it in this part of the show. But honestly, just the way things have been going for me in my own work life, it just does not feel sincere. So I figured in this follow-up, I would just briefly talk about what I have been struggling with recently. This year, I have had two different jobs and both lasted roughly about a month. So through a little over eight months of 2021, I have been unemployed for six of them. I also think it's important to note that in both of the jobs I've had, I have resigned, which is just a fancy way of saying quit. Um, and that was because I just didn't feel like, you know, it was it was really a good fit for one way or another. A lot of reasons why people leave jobs. If you think it's the right decision for you, and you can, I, I highly suggest it. Now, I have an upcoming episode with a former coworker where we talk about dealing with unemployment and the instability of campaigns and just kind of, you know, work in general. Um, but I've been thinking a lot about the difference between a roadblock that you're supposed to overcome and a sign that it's time to do something else. I think the tricky part is that that's a decision that's a very individual one, right? Like it's up to that person to decide if something is a roadblock and that they just need to keep their head down and keep pushing and keep trying. Or if it is a sign that's saying, hey, this isn't working out, maybe we need to change directions. But personally, I have really been struggling with where you find out where you draw that line and where you make that decision from. Um, I don't have an answer to that. I don't have any advice because God knows I'm the last person to be giving advice on this right now. It's just something I've been struggling with. And I think an issue that a lot of people around my age are having, or at least among my friends, I'm 24, um, is balancing the goal of wanting to genuinely help in some way and genuinely wanting to create as much positive change as possible um, in whatever you know field of interest they're in, but at least in my experience, so often it really feels like nothing matters. And I'm not saying that in like a, you know, super negative trying to, you know, the way. Um, it's just that just sincerely has been <laughs> the feeling I've had um, that despite how much you care or want something to happen, how much you work for it to happen, that, you know, a lot of the time, ultimately, it's a select group of people, typically very old men, typically very old white men, um, who are the ones that are actually making every meaningful decision that happens and that the work the rest of us are doing is just really there to kind of, you know, make yourself feel better. And I don't know if this is just a campaigns thing. Um, obviously, it's very obvious in politics. Um, I don't know how many people in 
different areas and fields feel that way. But especially after what just happened in Texas this week with their illegal and inhumane attack on abortion, it really just seems like it's hard to find work to do that can both fulfill you in some way and then also actually accomplish something positive. And maybe the problem is trying to find fulfillment through work, right? Maybe we should all just find jobs that are as least stressful and high paying as possible and then volunteer and find other things in our life that can fill whatever that void is that, you know, you're trying to fill with work. And I am just saying that to myself. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't know. Um, But at least for anyone else that might also be feeling that, just know that you are not alone in feeling that. And I know from conversations that I have had this week um, that there are a lot more people other than me that also feel what you're going through. On the topic of Texas, I am going to post a link in the bio of this episode to split a donation between local abortion funds and groups doing amazing work to try to provide access to quality and safe health care to all who want it in the state of Texas. So please, if you can, uh, consider donating. There is one little note that I want to make about something I said in the interview. Um, So I have absolutely talked about Adam Grant's book before, Think Again. I think it's fantastic. I stand by the fact that I think it's an amazing book and that everyone should read it. But I heard a different take on the uh, point of imposter syndrome, which I discussed, uh, on an episode of Armchair Expert, which is probably my favorite podcast. It's unbelievable. Everyone should listen to that. But the guest was uh, Dr. Maya Shankar, and she talks about Grant's take on imposter syndrome and basically says that while it absolutely can be beneficial for some people, white men especially, maybe not so much for a lot of other people, especially people of color, people in marginalized groups. The reason being that people in marginalized groups are already fighting stereotypes and biases. So adding this take on imposter syndrome and trying to work that into what's already a very complicated dynamic is not necessarily going to improve anything, or at least might not improve anything. Um, I heard that on that episode a couple weeks ago. I was just blown away that we were talking about the same topic. Um... But I really wanted to share that because it is obviously a very different perspective um, than, you know, what I had presented in the episode, I think, for the better, um, because it makes total sense. Um, But I highly encourage you to go and listen to that episode in full um, in that show just in general because it is so fantastic. Now I would love to thank our sponsors. Thank you to the Crystal Casino Band for letting us use their song Luck as the music for the podcast. The Crystal Casino Band actually just dropped their new album, Not About You, everywhere that music can be found. I think it is their best album yet, and I could not encourage you more to go check it out. One final thing before we wrap up here, I have a favor to ask. If you thought of anyone while listening to this episode because they are in school to do this, or you just think that they would find it interesting, please send it to them. The goal here is to help as many different people as possible learn about as many different careers and paths as possible. So if you would like to help with that mission, I would greatly appreciate it. 
please also feel free to reach out at starting somewhere pod on Instagram. Thank you to everyone who listened to this episode, and I hope you have a great rest of your day.